0: Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? In today's episode, we are going to talk about how well-behaved women seldom make history. Oh. And we're going to learn about a couple women who defied Rome. I mean, damn. Okay. (laughs) All right.
1: Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, the other 50% the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan.
0: Episode 24, Well-Behaved Women and Early Christianity. (laughs) I feel like these should never go hand in hand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, except that early Christians were rebelling against the pagan norms of the Roman Empire. Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, how do women fit into this? <laughs> I feel like typically it's a dude that's like, I'm over this. I'm starting my own crowd.
0: <laughs> well, let's back up. So first let's talk about this quote. Well behaved women. I know. Where
1: does this originate from? I feel like I've seen this everywhere and they like people take claim to it all the time. Yeah.
0: So we actually have a really awesome TED talk up on our website that I want to direct everybody to. This is a TEDx taught by Lee Ann Wheeler. And she is talking about um, the origins of this quote. And it's actually a woman historian who is lamenting how. World history, history is packed <laughs> full of women who were alongside the men doing good stuff, doing yeah. the, fighting the good fight. And those women don't make history. The people right. that you hear about are the people that are like given the middle finger to the system, <laughs> and those are the women that make history. the susan b. anthonys, the, yeah, the badasses. the, the badasses make history. But yet history's packed full of these good women yeah and um and their stories are often not heard right and I think this this is really funny because. Um, They were kind of lamenting this and talking about how women, you know, these good women should make history. These women who just like, you know. We're right there. We're right there fighting the same fights. Um, You know, I would agree, you know.
1: I'll play the other side of it. It's like the ones that are making all the noise are typically the ones that want someone wants to talk about. Yeah. It's rare that they're like, Oh my goodness, that beautiful woman Mary,
0: who just didn't do anything next to that dude. Yeah. Let's write about her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's noteworthy because yeah. it's different. And yeah. I think that's that's the it's abnormal. Away. Yeah. That is the takeaway. Um But I think that's interesting. And so what a cool challenge to us to look for those women that are right alongside there. But then, so it's interesting because I was thinking about the reviews of the state standards and how in the state standards they found that all the first ladies get kind of a passing mention. In the state in the in the review of the state standards, they found that these first ladies get mentioned, but most women historians do not write histories on first ladies. They okay. write about these other women that are like making change. Right, and um, and so I thought that was really an interesting counterpoint, which is that like in a high school classroom, in a high school textbook, well-behaved women. Do get named, yeah, and um, and it's actually outside of that that the the poorly behaved women, (laughs) differently abled, differently abled (laughs) women get
1: get mentioned. Rowdy, rowdy, rowdy. I mean, you you gotta make a little noise to make some change, yeah, and that's what they're trying to do, right? Because if they just confide to the norm can't really say that women are going to get the vote. Can't really say that slavery is going to end.
0: But it certainly (laughs) leaves people with the impression that women in history were either doing nothing or Or they were sticking it to the system. And I think that's not really accurate. Well, I know that that's not really accurate. Probably most women just go along with stuff. Just like most men do. And so, Mm. like... The people that stand out and go against that are probably the minority. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so. So. Where do we go with this? Today we're going to talk about early Christianity. And I want to talk about early Christianity because these are women who, well, first of all, uh, this is a pattern in world history where... Early converts to religions tend to be women. Muhammad, for example, when he founded Islam, the first convert was his wife Khadija, and um, and and many other women followed. He had okay. women that fought with him on the battlefield and li- literally put them their body between him and his adversaries. Okay. Um, Christianity is no different. Judaism, so no different.
1: why is that? Why do women
0: convert easy, easily? Oh, I don't know. But I, it's an interesting historical pattern. Uh, you know, it's a correlation. I don't know the cause. Um, I do think, I mean, one pattern there is that it's often loved ones that are the first converts. And so that do includes, like... you think it's like, like
1: blind leading the blind? Or is it, <laughs> <laughs> like, is it someone empowering someone else? Or, you know... What do you think? I... I don't know, if my husband came home and he was like, let's join a cult. I'm like, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds risky. <laughs> it sounds risky. Here's what I think. I think that, at least in the case of Christianity, Christianity, well, actually, this is true in Islam as well. In both cases, it offered opportunities to women that did not exist okay. previously. And, you know... In, yeah, like if
1: you take up this sword, you can read a
0: book. Yes, okay. if you you can read, you can. I mean, you know, Islam. You can own property. You could have power. You could have yeah, in in varying ways. It yeah. offered things that women didn't have before, okay. and um, and so in Christianity, um, women are numerous in the early church. They, they represent many, many, many followers. Um, and this is something that lots of historians talk about. Um, but so I want to just read a little bit from, this is an AP world history textbook. It's called worlds together, worlds apart. It was created for the 2015 exam. So it's a recent book. That's Um, recent. Is that like what they redo the exam every few okay. years or whatever. And so that was the most recent revision gotcha. of the exam. Um, it's a
1: giant green book with huge words on the front. Huge words. If looking for it. And <laughs> maybe a compass. Let's see that thing. Oh. If it's not a compass, it's the first clock. It's a...
0: <laughs> <laughs> so when they talk about Christianity in this book, the, they call it the rise of Christianity. And this is in... The context of talking about the Han Dynasty and Imperial Rome, 300 BCE to 300 CE. That just, like, seems so, like, fake to me
1: <laughs> when you say those numbers. Like, sure. That sure. Time,
0: that time existed in the world? Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, Kelsey.
0: Okay. Um, so, towards the end, they or, uh, in the middle of this, they have a section called The Rise of Christianity. And... Um, They say just a half century after Jesus' crucifixion, the followers of Jesus saw in his life not merely the wanderings of a Jewish charismatic teacher, but a head-on collision between God and the world. Jesus' teachings came to be understood as the message of a divine being who for 30 years had moved, largely unrecognized, among uh, human beings, Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm reading this poorly. <laughs> Who for 30 years had moved largely unrecognized among human beings. Jesus' followers formed a church, a permanent gathering committed to the charge of leaders chosen by God and by their fellow believers. For these leaders and their followers, death offered a defining testimony for their faith. Christians hoped for a Roman trial and the opportunity to offer themselves as witnesses, martyrs, For their faith, persecutions of Christians were sporadic and responses to local concerns. Not until the emperor Odysseus in the mid third century CE did the state direct an empire wide attack on Christians. Odysseus died within the year and Christians interpreted their persecutor's death as evidence of the hand of God in human affairs. By the last decades of the third century, Christian communities of various kinds, reflecting the different strands of their movement through the Mediterranean as well as the local cultures in which they settled, were present in every society in the empire. Okay, so I look at that and I say, cool, they're telling the story of Christian Persecution, blah, blah, blah. But there's no mention of women whatsoever in this, not just in those two paragraphs that I read, but in the entire section on the rise of Christianity. And you can't tell the story of early Christians without including the numerous women that are flocking to it. Um, And so that's a little concerning to me as a woman historian looking yeah. at that where where are the women where are they at yep um and so so i'm concerned about that okay i um also, you know, the problem with a textbook like this is it's insufficient. And so just just looking at a textbook, that gives us an overview. It gives us a sense. Which it should. I mean, if that thing
1: included every piece of anything, all, you know. All the
0: martyrs. That would be a lot bigger
1: than it already is. Right. And this is a huge book. It's enormous. That would hurt your kid's back carrying around. But right. I can imagine you have to cut somewhere.
0: Yep. But you also have to find opportunities for stories and narrative. Well, and to be inclusive. And to be and inclusive. And so if
1: you're taking this this text and your job is to edit and and maneuver and remove and subtract and whatever it is, you have to take the lens of diverse and inclusive. And if you can't, then you're doing a disservice to anyone reading them.
0: Right. So... The um, Stanford History Education Group has a really great lesson on Christian martyrs. And it looks at their primary documents related okay. to these people and, like, why they martyred themselves for this early religion. Um, and, and I think that's that's a really interesting, um, interesting piece of the story. And, like, look, like, why, why, why? right and for for a modern audience where especially in secular United States yeah like it is it's a tough grasp it's a tough thing to really understand so they have this really great lesson on that but their lesson does not include the two women that I want to tell you about Ooh, and okay. um and because the other thing and I the reason I think these women get left out of history is because well, first of all, literally everything that one of them <laughs> made was destroyed. <laughs> um, oh, so erased. Erased. Okay. So literally Solid. erased. Solid. I think is one of the reasons. <laughs> but I also think that it's one. Th- it's really hard to grasp people who would kill themselves for their faith, or you know, just all like literally all you had to do is say like, "I'm not Christian anymore," or "I renounce," you know, these things yeah. that I've said or believed or whatever. It's really hard to understand why a mother would do that would not like would not live for the sake of their child
1: and I think that would have such a deep belief
0: yeah because I think that most places around the world think that moms should live for their children that survival is more important is it or is living in your truth so your child could know yours I don't know yeah that's a hard that's a hard thing to call it's a hard thing to call, but I wonder if that is part of why these stories are just so hard to grasp. But also, like, what cool conversations yeah, to absolutely. have with your students. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brooke, let's take a little break. And when okay. we come back, I'll tell you the story of these two women. Awesome. For lesson plan ideas and how to teach women's history, visit our website www.remedialherstory.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at remedialhistory. If you think what we're doing is needed, please consider joining our Patreon community. Patreon allows you to sponsor a podcast with a small donation. Patrons get access to bonus materials, extended episodes, insider information, and gear. Give at whatever level you can. Patrons who give at the $25 tier will receive a remedial history mug and a booklet of all the remedial history lesson plans and resources. This episode is sponsored by our patrons. Thank you to Kent and Jamie Heckel from Ohio, Sarah Reardon from New Hampshire, Leah Tanger from Connecticut, and Bridget Erlandson from Connecticut. You guys make this show possible.
1: Well, hello there. Do you wish your high school history course had more drinking, more swearing, and more ladies? Well, do we have the show for you. Her Story on the Rocks is a long-form podcast talking about good women, bad women, fictional women, and non-fictional women from all times and places. Basically, each week, we pair two women who we research with a themed signature cocktail. You won't be sorry you listen to our latest episode. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Cheers.
0: In the early uh, Christian Empire, which is late Roman Empire, so we're talking like. Uh, 400 Common Era. Constantine is the leader of what would become the Byzantine Empire, and um, but the, it's the Eastern Roman Empire. So Rome has split in half, and he has adopted Christianity as the official Roman religion. And Constantine basically creates this Council of Nicaea to determine. Let's. There's a lot of Christian documents that are floating around, and people practice Christianity differently everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so let's like have some sort of consensus and that's looking at it in a, in a light way. Um, and so this group of people, uh, you know, clergy get together and they basically decide the orthodox books of the Bible. And then anything that they don't include gets, uh, labeled as heresy. And all of those, those people who believe those things are persecuted. It sounds like there's so much that was left out
1: intentionally and almost to the point of like, well, these aren't important to us. So they wouldn't be important to anyone else. Cause in that, you know, think about that committee at that time and how they felt about women, obviously that is coming
0: through in the work that they decided to collect and distribute. Absolutely. As, uh, Christianity is being spread by the apostle Paul, um, and, uh, um, and, you know, sort of paganism, it's sort of like the pagans versus the Christians. And there's a lot of persecution depending on who's in, in power and who, who sure. controls. And so there's martyrs on both sides. Um, there are, so there are a couple of women that I think history teachers should, should highlight in a world history class. The first is Perpetia, who is, I might be saying her name wrong, but she is a Christian martyr who, uh, and so, so one of the interesting, things about Christianity is I'm, I'm quoting Paul here, but early Christianity, a lot of the followers are women. And, um, you know, you can think like mother Mary, you can think yeah. Mary Magdalene. Um, and there's a lot of debate about Mary Magdalene. She gets, uh, by the Christian church, she gets labeled a prostitute. Um, but those Gnostic gospels, those Gnostic gospels basically confirmed that she was actually one of the f- First followers of Christ, she was perhaps Christ's favorite follower, and maybe was even his lover. And there, there are quotes in the Gnostic Gospels where um, he, where Mary Magdalene is seen kissing Christ, and um, and and that other um, disciples are are concerned that christ loves her more than them and um and so there's there's a lot to that and people i don't want to say that that sounds more like the truth but uh sounds pretty accurate (laughs) sounds very
1: accurate oh a man Uh, in that time period having a woman
0: worshiper and hmm, didn't take advantage of that that would be just talking. Right. There's a book um, that was part of the Gnostic Gospels called Mary, um, and it's the book of Mary. And uh, I don't believe that it was written by her, but it is entirely about her, and it describes okay. this relationship. Um, contrasting how Mary's talked about in the book of Mary versus like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the other books of the New Testament would be a really interesting thing to do with students. Basically, here's a book from the woman's perspective, the book of Mary. Here's a book from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's perspective and um and sort of look at those those different things and and you know as as history teachers our job is to look at the documents we are not we are not preaching anything we are letting students read the sources and they can decide for themselves and part of inquiry is you know how like what do you know how do these two texts display women Right. Exactly. And doing that, like, even
1: with that 3C that you were talking about, it's like, what question can we pose with this? It's like, where is this? And how do you decide with these documents to move forward with your, you know, your conclusion
0: of that? Right. So Perpetua would be a really cool example. She is an early Christian martyr. She, uh, con- Her family is all pagan. She converts to Christianity. She lives near Carthage. And um, and so okay. she um, is super committed to to Christianity. She's arrested for speaking um, about her Christian beliefs. She's still breastfeeding her first child, or maybe not first, but she's still breastfeeding her child when they imprison her. And she, we actually have, um, she's one of the the rare educations Educated women who wrote a journal. And so we have her diary entries from when Whoa. she was in prison. Um, she's super cool. And, and, um, she talks about basically that she, her, her Christian f- friends basically beg the, the prison guards to allow her child to come into the prison with her so she can continue breastfeeding. And, um, so she feels like so grateful once her child is returned to her. There's another woman who is pregnant, who is in prison with her, another Christian. And both of these women along with a bunch of other men are um, put into basically like think gladiator put into a arena where animals uh, attack them and rip them to shreds and then eventually a gladiator is sent in with a spear to kill her. Um, fortunately the woman who is pregnant gave birth like shortly before she was killed but like both of these mothers are are slaughtered because they spoke their Christian beliefs and would not recount them. Um, there, She describes when her father came into the prison to try to beg her to, to, you know, not be Christian, basically. And she sticks to her guns. She would be a really cool example. And then, so it's interesting because like uh, like I said before, Christianity is followed by and and really um, women dominate the early followers of Christianity. And, and she's a really good example of that. Um, eventually, though, we can see with Constantine that it becomes very like unopen to women and their voices. And when Constantine um, comes into power, he makes christianity the dominant roman religion and so everywhere everywhere christianity to
1: adopt it and enforce it and you know make it part of their
0: culture right and pagans were kind of driven out at that time right Right. And so um, in Egypt, in, in a city called Alexandria, there's a woman named Hypatia. And she uh, is really interesting because she was a scholar. She was respected by the people living there. Um, but she was also pagan because um, she just couldn't see. Uh, she, she's a scientist. She was one. Of, yeah. She was a mathematician. And um, she and, and reason and doubt were part of her, her vocabulary. <laughs> right, and she is interesting because throngs of men and scholars come to listen to her speak. She's in some in some cases it's probably like who's this woman lecturer? That's cool. Um, yeah. But others, it's she like many of the I read all the primary sources that speak about her, and one of the interesting things, and they're all male primary sources. Some of them just dismiss her because she's a woman, but others um, are are super just impressed with her. Intellectualism. She dresses in male robes, and that's an interesting thing um, because she saw if she dressed as a woman, she wouldn't get the respect. You know, we've been talking about having to lower your voice to be to be respected. She dresses yep. ma- masculinely. To yeah, be I feel like we've brought this up a couple other times too. Of like, you have to wear
1: pants to be in a bo- in a boardroom. It's you know, it's the age old dress like a man to be part of the male culture. <laughs>
0: So she gets sort of wrapped up in religious hysteria that comes to Alexandria. She is close friends with one of uh, the—his position is kind of like a mayor, and he— Um, they're sort of these two men that come into power. One of them is higher ranking and she's close to sort of the second in command. And he, the, both of the higher ranking people are Christian, both have been baptized. Um, but the other, the sort of lower ranking guy is not very, um, he's, he's, The, the lower ranking guy is very sympathetic to, um, other religious people that live in Alexandria, like the Jews and the pagans and the higher up, um, expels the Jews and there's this like violent clash between the Christians and the Jews in Alexandria and the Jews get expelled. And, um, but Hypatia is sort of problematic because people see her as, and this is sort of the beginning not the beginning, but an example of that witchcrafty idea. Right. Yeah. She has the ear of this, this powerful governing person and he is sympathetic to the pagans. And so it must be her, right? She has some sort of curse on him. And, um, and so, so teaching about her would be really cool because I think I would argue that if you know, this really is a battle about religion, Mm -hmm. right? Pagan versus Christian. It's not like, it's not directly about sex, but if she wasn't a woman would they have targeted her? Because she really didn't have any power. She was just an intellectual and people listened to her. Yeah. But because she was female, there was
1: that doubt of witchcraft and sorcery and like being a seer.
0: It's like, no, she's just smart. (laughs) She's just smart. (laughs) So, um, she's interesting because, well, her story is horrifying and, you know, trigger warning here, people, um, the mob, the Christian mob comes after her. And they, they recently made a film about this. Um, the, the Christian mob, comes after her and they uh pull her from her chariot. They drag her across town and they hack her to pieces with either oyster shells or roofing tiles. Um and she dies. The sort of middle management governor flees town. And- well yeah, you better. <laughs> get out. Um, and sort of, that's the end that people point to this as the end of intellectualism in Alexandria, Alexandria prior to this had one of the biggest libraries. uh, Yeah.
1: Weren't they like praised as one of the thought leaders of that, that time period and where like education was being drive driven from and like development and, and, you know, all those of scientific research was like started in Alexandria. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a lot. (laughs) <laughs> they're a lot I know but really cool good stories I mean really interesting women so thank
0: you for bringing them in oh my gosh it's so awesome so we have lesson plans uh, we have a lesson plan about these Christian martyrs or about these martyrs in early Christian history okay and um and so yeah they're on the website for people to check out awesome thanks Kelsey thanks Brooke I'm Brooke Sullivan I'm Kelsey Eckert
1: see you next time <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.